Welcome, data people. We are Zuma. My name is Matt, and this is Data for Good. This podcast is brought to you by Zuma. Zuma is a dedicated recruitment company for senior data, insights, and analytics professionals, connecting you with Berlin's most influential companies. The Data for Good podcast is for the world of data analytics and engineering, giving you access to the thoughts and opinions of Berlin's most successful data people. Today, we are joined by Manik Garg, Business Intelligence Lead at Delivery Hero. So I'm looking forward to this one. It's going to be a great episode. Manik will inform us about marketing analytics. Manik, welcome. How are you? Hey, Matt. I'm good. Fantastic. And how was the weekend? Yeah, it was quite nice. Like a sunny, sunny weekend in Berlin. The, uh, the weather's been quite indifferent uh, recently. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Perfect. So yeah, let's talk analytics. So this is an area that you have huge passion for. So mm-hmm. tell us, how did you first get into analytics? Sure. So I started my career in operations in India and uh, seven years back, uh, I moved to Germany for my Erasmus. So I was doing my MBA and I came here for finance. And there I was exposed to tools like R and MATLAB since we were doing like a lot of things in Econometrics. And there I start developing my interest in the analytics. And that's the reason also I did my thesis in the sentiment analysis. So I was using like R packages to get the tweets to see what is the price of Ethereum, which is funny, like I did it seven years back. And looking back like two years back, I was wondering like if I can use that thing in the practical uh, scenario, I would have made a lot of money on that. Uh, after that, like when I was start looking for jobs in analytics, I realized like the SQL and Tableau is the thing that you need for each and every BI or data or data science job. Mm-hmm. So I did some like a crash course on Tableau and SQL and I landed my first job in the boutique firm for BI, which was, uh, implementing Tableau solutions across big and smaller companies. Uh, after working for a couple of years with them, I moved to more like as an in-house BI in a fintech called Raisin. And there I was mostly working with customer analytics and marketing analytics. And that's where I developed my interest in the marketing analytics. And yeah, from there, like it was a journey, like I start like developing more into the senior role. And now I'm like working with the delivery hero in a, as a market, uh, as a BI lead. So I'm. I have a bunch of analysts who are helping me to uh, provide the analytic solution to our team. Amazing. So you're very much focused within marketing analytics and have done for the past few years. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know, how what is marketing analytics and how does it differ to the analytics teams in other departments? Sure. So even in the marketing analytics, I would focus more on the customer analytics to be more precise or more uh, so that it's easier for people to connect. So basically it's, uh, we use the customer information or behavior to identify the best or most profitable customer. So we can either retain the current customer base or we can attract the new customer who we feel might be a high value and how the organization do it. So you can understand a company collect a lot of data regarding the customer. So when you register on a platform, uh, you give your demographic data. So your age, your gender, 
the place where you are located located in then over time when you have more transactions with the platform or with the app or with the website you give your purchasing history so uh, there is a framework called rfm which is like recency frequency and monetary so recency is like when was the last time you bought something on the platform frequency is how often do you come on the platform and buy stuff and monetary is basically how much money you have spent over time on the platform then apart from the demographic and purchasing activity there are things like website or social media activity so which is also called like product data so how do you interact with the website which things do you click which thing do you open how much time do you spend on the app uh, which feature of the app do you use more uh, then there are things like contact center interaction so uh, do you have to open a ticket with a customer care because of loss of your package or defective stuff or the service that you didn't like or there is a bug in the app uh, then the, uh, the last layer is basically survey so when we need to understand more on how customers are enjoying or how customers are liking our platform we usually send them some service service and then we use that as an nps score to understand what exactly is customer enjoying or what exactly we can improve to make our customer satisfied so we can use this data and using this data we try to come up with the best products or best services for the customers amazing so tell us more about nps and how you as a how would we use nps scores to and the data that we receive from that to really improve the product that we're offering our customers sure so usually like there are like different ways how we can collect the nps data from a customer so i can take example of delivery companies since uh, i was i'm working currently with a delivery company uh, when a food is delivered to you or when a good is delivered to you we usually have a, a pop up to a customer to say like out of 5 or out of 3 how do they rate certain things like how the food quality was how the delivery quality was or if there are any other thing that we want to know uh then there are like some surveys which we do to investigate something so let's say we saw uh there is a drop in a customer frequency in a given region then to investigate that we create like a ad hoc survey to the customers and there we really want to understand like what is basically happen and we want to change it then the third kind of survey is let's say we are launching new product or new service and this could be also in house survey where we are inviting the people for a small group and then trying to understand like if this service or this product will be something that they are happy to use uh so these three different surveys can be used for different things so first one is basically uh it's uh is rating our service or is rating our product and there we can understand like okay if there is a drop in customer if it's a drop in something uh is it because the customer is not satisfied with the service and and here like we have a quantitative data and also a qualitative data so we have some number like 0 and 1 mm-hmm. or minus 1 to 1 which is like nps score but we also give the option to give some comments and these are the things that help us to understand better like some people mention hey like uh, the food was cold when it was delivered which is very hard to gauge from the 0 and 1 so yeah. so this is this is something we use the nps or surveys for how how would you put 
um, statements such as the food is cold into a figure so that it can be analyzed? Sure. So let's say, uh, so let's say when you order a food, uh, we know like not hundred percent of the customer will rate on the app. Uh, we have like 15 to 20% at max at best that mm -hmm. we get the survey. Let's say a uh, hundred people ordered or like thousand people ordered out of that 15% is 150 people rated on that. In that, like if we want to understand which customers uh, were not satisfied with our platform, we don't look at the positive one, we look at the negative ones. So let's say uh, out of 150, 50 people give us like negative points or less than zero. So among those 50 people now, we out of thousand people, we have a good uh, uh, good population to analyze. So we have 50 people and out of 50 people also, not all of them will give the comment. So out of 50, we will have like 20 people which are commenting, giving the comment like food is cold or food is hot or it was spilled or the quantity is small. Uh, now when we have like these 20 people, it's easy to analyze. We can either use some packages from like where we can get all the text highlighted. So it's something called word, word cloud where it takes all the, all the text and then it will give you as a bubble cloud where you can see the biggest thing. So if you see cold big, that you can understand, okay, the thing was cold or stolen something, then we can see, okay, the food is getting stolen in certain area. Or there are also packages which try to make, uh, give a context of all the comments. So you can use all these 20 comments and combine them and get a gist of it. So there are like some open source tool from Google or from even from Amazon, which help you, which you don't have to then manually look at each and every comment, but it can give you a gist of everything. Like, let's say there are five people who are saying cold, then gist will have like the most uh, uh, common thing that the customer struggle was with the cold food. Uh, but there were also some customers who saw the food was being lost. Got you. So there's tools to, well, it sounds like there's tools to support you to take the manual work of reading through all these comments and they will um, predict what the kind of topic of the comments is. Exactly. Exactly. So in the beginning, usually we start with manually, but when we have to scale it up, we use like this more like an automated tool or machine learning tool to get the gist of all the comments. And then over time, we also, when we identify certain topic is being covered again and again, we also then can change our survey. So to add like if the food was cold or not, instead of uh, waiting for a customer to add as a comment, we can also then over time change our response to uh, improve this service. Okay. And so improving service sounds like we prevent churn and how do we use specific data to further prevent churn? Sure. Uh, so how uh, basically like uh, in order to prevent churn, we need to first understand like how do we define the churn? So churning like basically would be, let's say we have a big customer based in August or, and then when we move to September, we see the, even though we acquired many customers, but our overall customer base have decreased. Uh, that means the customer that we were expecting to return every month are not returning. That's basically they are either leaving the platform or they are not returning 
as frequent as we want them to return. And then potentially they can even leave the platform. Uh, either they won't use the service or they will join the competitor. Mm -hmm. So uh, the in order to prevent the churn, first we need to identify which customers are the highest potential of being churned. So you can either, either look at how, so we can again use the same thing of RFM that I mentioned before, like how, how was the change in the frequency of the customer? So let's say we had a certain customer base, which were coming three times a month before, and now they're coming only two times a month. So there is a potential drop in the frequency, which can eventually lead to zero. Then we have, uh, initially customers were coming after every two months to the platform. And now the customers are coming after every three months. So their recency has increased. So they are not coming back very often. Uh, then once we have a target customer base, let's say we are looking at the customers who haven't come back for last six months uh, or their frequency have been decreasing steadily like from four to three to two to one. And eventually we are thinking they will be zero. Uh, we, we come up to understand how can we, what exactly do they look in the platform? So is it like a certain product? So let's say at Amazon, we know certain customers only buy coffee, coffee pods, or they buy just mm -hmm. small products, which are less than 50 between zero to 50, because they are afraid. Like if it's above, it can be either stolen or gone or they don't want to they don't want to buy a big 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 item because they want to go to the store and feel and buy it but mm -hmm. they usually prefer our platform to buy something between 0 and 50 and when we identify like these kind of customers uh we try to send them some pop ups so we work with CRM team or product team and send them on the on the mobile app like hey like this is something you know you will like it uh, and if you buy it then we can also give you either free delivery or we can give you like some discount. Or if you buy three, three this month, we can give you the fourth one for free. So we try to understand first, like what kind of discounts we can use or what kind of marketing levers we can pull to attract that customer. So some customers are always organic. They don't want to get any discount. They just buy because it's convenient. Some customers are being attracted by free gifts or free deliveries or one plus one or 50% discount. So for them, we have like a catered discount, uh, but for the organic ones, then we need to further deep dive to understand what encourage them to buy on the platform. And this is here. We can also go into the NPS data or survey data to understand if there is a, in the future, in the past, if they had some problem with the contact rate, let's say they had some trouble with the app or they had some trouble with the lost package or they had some trouble with the customer care. And since now we have narrowed down the customer base so much, it's easy, uh, it's easy to understand what was the specific problem with a given customer. So let's say we identified uh, out of thousand customers who are churning, 50 customers who are organic out of that and among mm -hmm. 50, 20 of them lost their packages. So basically we know like when we are working at this scale, we can always reactivate them. So we say like, Hey, uh, we understand like you lost your package and we are giving you the money. Like, of course we return the money, but we are also giving you some 
same thing again for free as a company uh, and we try to reactivate them using that so we try to earn their trust back because at the end the cost of package is nothing compared uh, competitive to the cltv which is the customer lifetime value which the customer can bring to the platform over time so so yeah like once we have once we understand like different uh, customer segments we mm-hmm. try to instead of going for a blanket strategy because if you are a organic customer a customer who is never being uh, excited about the discounts or free gifts or free delivery you won't be happy if you say like hey for next delivery you will get 50 plus 50 50% off because that's like a waste of strategy and that's also if you're a customer who is troubled by the customer care and now we are giving you 50% it will even further can turn you more you say like hey like you're not solving the basic problem but you are just throwing money on the other things mm-hmm. which was not even i need so instead of going for a blanket strategy we try to segment the customer base into six or seven categories and then using our crm or some campaigns or some products we try to bring them back to the platform amazing are these human decisions or ai prediction models so uh, let's it, it depends on the it depends on the use case so in the long term like i mean at the end the goal is to make it like as automated as possible so you can also use something called k means or like some segmentation to already segment your customer base so instead of doing this exercise manually you can already have the customers who are like loyal mm-hmm. or customer who are like a deal seeker or the customer who are like high value and you can use the data that i discussed initially like demographic purchasing history contact center and once you have like 15 to 20 different attributes around your customer it's sometimes it's very hard to do it manually because let's say a customer have some problem with the logistics but then the customer is also high value so where will you put it like a customer with high value or with customer who need problem with logistics so usually we use something called segmentation where they use like this 15 to 20 attributes of a customer mm-hmm. and then segment those customers into one of the four or five categories so once you have used this four or five categories then you can use something called persona where you are using different attributes of a whole group mm-hmm. to come up with one persona so let's say you have 100000 customers and you divided them using machine learning like came in segmentation into five categories uh let's say category a b c d e now you can put some attributes on a category so we can say customer with attribute e usually are the deal seeker or customer with attribute a are very high value customers so we need to make sure that they they are, they are not lost or customer with category b always struggle with the logistics so maybe they are living in some areas where we don't have that level of service or that level of slas mm. so over time like it should be automated but initially there are some eda or data exploration that need to be done to come up with these logics and to facilitate all this we need a good data structure a good um data quality and i know that we've spoken previously and your thoughts around uh democratizing data mm-hmm. to enable this so for those who don't know what is it in simple terms to democratize data 
Sure. So it basically means like all the stakeholder in a given organization can access the corporate data. So the all the data that I discuss, in addition to other data, it should be available to the everyone who's working with me in the organization. Uh, but to me, like it goes even further. Like I also that's why I always add data literacy. That it's one thing to make the data available to everyone, but it's another thing that to make sure that they use this data for their analysis, for insight, and their day-to-day decision-making. Mm-hmm. So I always see as a two-step. One is to make sure that we make them, like, so first first step is basically that we have, like, a good quality data. So all the KPIs are aligned. The definitions are, like, how we want to define. Uh, but once the date we have uh, maintained that given level of data data quality, uh, we are able to provide this data to everyone in the team. Like, so either like we can use different self-service to like Tableau or Looker for that. Mm. But once these uh, data is available to everyone, uh, we also have to make sure that we provide them proper trainings or proper uh, data dictionary or like some use cases, how to use the data. So I can also use example from my last company where we were using Looker. Mm-hmm. So we had like a good data layer uh, and some dash- dashboards on how to use the t- data. But beyond that, our BI team was not providing like operational data to anyone in the company. So what we were doing is uh, we start like gamifying the whole thing. So we, everyone who joins the company need to go through like two to three hours of training on mm-hmm. how to use the data. And over time, we start giving them belts. So like white belt is the beginner, black belt is a data expert, like red belt. And we also created some Slack channels where only red belts can join. So you have more motive to learn or pass certain level. And in these channels, we ask people to ask questions and it's not the BI team who answers the answer, but it's usually this experts. So we say like, if you answer like 10, 15 questions in this group, then you will be qualified for the black belt training. So we are basically trying to identify champions in each and every team because over time, once the organization grows, it's not also easy to scale the self-service tool. So we always need Mm. some people who are working inside the business teams who are like kind of become as a sponsor for our data. So if we know like in a product team, we have two two or three people who are using our dashboards or our tables or our tools that we have built for day-to-day purpose, it ensures that other people also start using it. Nice. I like it. I like it a lot. So it sounds like gamification has been a, a great success to improve your data literacy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Amazing. And you mentioned it's about getting buy-in from, from stakeholders, um, business stakeholders. How, how do we go about this? Sure. So this is also like, it's again, go with the same point that I mentioned before that uh, first, like to get a buy-in from the stakeholder, we need to earn the trust of them. So uh, it's easy to say like, like, we'll build like a high quality data or high quality self-service tool. But the first step is to earn the trust of the business stakeholder. And usually uh, it doesn't take like sophisticated tools or like a big database or big data to earn this, 
but it starts with like solving like some small problem like providing them some operational data or doing small ad hoc analysis even on excel so at one point of time i was not a big advocate of excel but over time i understood like this is something that resonate very well with the business stakeholder so if you can provide them like a small business case or small solutions on even on excel where then they can change the attributes for their use case over time that's also already a big big jump for them so i feel that that's already like 90% of the work and rest mm -hmm. 10% over time once you have the buy in from them then you can spend more time because what i understood is if you spend more than 2 weeks on a given project uh they start losing the interest so unless you are providing them like a small modular uh deliveries like some small part where they are engaged over over time mm -hmm. then they have we have a better buy in but once we say we take like 2 months on a given project we know we already lost the stakeholders and then we have to do the whole thing again so i always say like it's always good to deliver something in one week or two weeks modules rather than going big for two months and then the stakeholders say hey like this is something not what i need got you so it sounds like the best <clears throat> process is not to bombard them with all these big data projects using all the mm -hmm. tools and yeah. over over complicating yeah. things you start yeah. off giving mm -hmm. them a taste yeah, small exactly. little operational mm -hmm. analysis mm -hmm. yeah. that they can see very quickly. Yeah. They get a taste for data. Mm -hmm. and as we know, uh, how humans function. Yeah. Once you yeah. get a taste and you enjoy it, you want yeah. more sophisticated and more complex yeah. Yeah. Um, processes. So it sounds like you've yeah. had great success following this this process yeah i mean yeah i mean i would still say like i'm still on the learning phase i i won't be i won't say like i'm the like the best person to do this but i'm still learning on this so over time i understood that like i mentioned like excel and powerpoint is the tool that resonate best with the business people so i now initially when i was spending like a lot of time on my python or my jupyter notebooks i was always excited to show these things to my business stakeholder but now i understood it's we should keep this as a black box model where we are not showing what we are doing in the process uh, i mean of course we have to make sure or we have to make sure that the thing that we are doing is correct but we shouldn't expose the whole thing to the stakeholder but we should just show them the result either in powerpoint or like as a like in amazon we used to write like docs so it's just as a written thing so they understand what we are doing but we shouldn't expose the whole process that we are doing on etl or on data cleaning or on machine learning because this is something that they are not interested in so we should just focus on the end result either on powerpoint or or, or also on the excel so rather than a, a two hour meeting going through yeah. all the the process and the challenges yeah. you went through yeah. a 15 a 15 minute catch up with the results yeah. is enough to impress the stakeholders get their trust and get their buy-in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So again, like going back to the example that I mentioned before about the customer segmentation. So if I would be going when I was presenting my segmentation A B C D, if I would be going like the prediction rate of this is A or ninety nine percent. If I start talking on the machine learning terms, I doubt anyone would be happy to learn about it. But when I start talking like this is my segment, which 
on usual spend like 800,000 per year, or this is my segment who 99% of the time will buy only when there is a discount. So when I start talking in the business term or like this is the segment which mostly come from SEO or this is the segment which explore all the new products on our platform. So when I start talking in the business terms, uh, it resonates well with them and they also can provide us more valuable feedback. So they can say, yeah. uh, this makes sense because yeah, like we can understand like this segment lives more in Berlin or in the urban areas. So they are more connected with the platform or this segment lives in the Bavaria. And so they might be more like they can spend more on the given thing. So it's also then provides us more valuable feedback and then we can bring that back to enrich our model also. Mm. So it sounds like we're really emphasizing the communication and almost the storytelling aspects to data and analytics. Yeah, definitely. So this is also something when someone joins my team or like even for me, uh, I can say, okay, like it's good to learn SQL and Tableau, but storytelling is the tool that anyone in the data should learn because that's, that's something helps you the most over time. Nice. It's the, it's the true understanding of, of something when you can explain it and explain it simply. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, time has flown. It's been a, a great conversation, uh, Manik. So let's wrap it up with, uh, one final question. Mm-hmm. How as a non-data business person, could we become more data literate? Sure. So I would recommend like if you are already working with Excel or any tool which deals with a number, you're already 90% in with the data literate. You just need to connect with your BI or data team and ask them, I want to do certain thing and can you help me with this? So a lot of time when people from the business team reach out to us to say like, hey, I need this certain data, I wouldn't be very happy. I say like, I'm not a data tool. But when they say like, I want to do this, which have certain impact on this, then I would be more happy to help the data person or like any business person. So if you can formulate your business problem very well uh, and then go back to any data team, they can help you very well with the thing. And then over time, once you start consuming this data, you will increase your data literacy. Amazing. So start small, start simple. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Amazing. Amazing. Well, you've taught us a lot today and I feel like we could have spoken for a lot longer. Um, These will lead on to a future podcast and we would love to have you again on a future series, but that is all we have time for today. Thank you very much for your time and your insights, Manik. It's been educational uh, for us all and I think a topic that everyone uh, will want to know more about. To the listeners, as always, drop your questions and feedbacks in the comment section and we will pick them out to be answered on future pods. And don't forget to share and like so we can get uh, the message out to as many people as possible and attract uh, as many folks to the world of data. But it is bye from us. So thanks once again, Manik. Thanks, Matt, for your time. Perfect. And ciao for now. Ciao.